Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with two amazing people today. First, my co-host, Chris Fuller. Hey, everyone. Um, co-host, cybersecurity consultant, and just happy to introduce our great CISO for today, Michael Baker. Michael. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That intro was awesome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love our intro. Hey, countdown, getting pumped up. Appreciate it's a party. Yeah. So appreciate Chris and, and Renee the invite today. Um, always a, a great topic. I think I wrote on your, your LinkedIn today, Chris, that, you know, this breaking into cybersecurity is such an important topic, right? Renee, I love the work you do as well in terms of bringing people in the industry and placing them in good jobs, but it's so needed at this point in time. Um, yeah. You know, we we have talent needs, right? We have we have all this stuff. So happy to join again. Thanks for thinking of me and having me on. Awesome. So before we get started, everyone, and I'll say this a couple times, please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Click the link below. Click the bell um, because we are growing. Actually, we hit over a thousand people on YouTube now, right, Chris? Awesome, yep. awesome. This this literally Chris's work. Chris has been hardcore getting us um getting our, our uh getting us on YouTube and get growing our following on YouTube. So you guys is, have a great community out there. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been watching what you've been doing for a while. It's awesome. That's very, very cool. And then um also the podcast listening. So, you know, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and we have someone here already steve who's watching from san diego hey steve from san diego he's always on it's awesome What's going on steve this my question does chris always wear sunglasses on these or is this yeah. just a new are you in the dark what's going on over here he's our diddy you know how, Puff, how p diddy always has on <laughs> like, the glasses like, like day a, night whatever i mean i get my sunglasses on he's like a celebrity here i, 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 I wish it was like a cool story like that but it, it, it's not um it's it, it's part of my uh my, my light sensitivity issue no it's, no, it's good it's the persona no it's yep, good yep. uh so michael i mean t tell us about like your story like l let us know a little background about who who michael baker is and why did he become a CISO? oh well, by accident, I guess. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, it, it's always a weird question, right? Because I think everyone has, you know, their careers go in different directions. And, you know, for me particularly, um, I started in consulting. I was uh, at Ernst & Young for a long time, nearly 15 years, 14 and a half years. And um, I was a consultant and I, you know, traveled the world and, you know, did cybersecurity consulting. I did a little of this, did a little of that. Um, a little bit of a mix between consulting and auditing. So I got both of those experiences. And, um, you know, I never actually thought I would have this role, uh, like a CISO role um, coming into it. You know, I, I just always loved being a consultant, right? I loved going into places and doing things. And then, um, you know, at, at one point in time, I uh, one of my clients was General Dynamics. Is I don't know if anyone knows, I'm, I'm the CISO of GDIT, and I've been in this role for nearly six years. But at, at a point in time, I had made some relationships within the company and reached out, and they happened to be hiring for this role. And my first thought was, wow, I don't know if I could do that. Um, so I consulted a bunch of mentors and friends, um, you know, one in particular that took a similar role a little bit before me. And 
they gave me the comp the confidence to take the leap and six years later here i am and i haven't looked back um so it's been it's been an interesting journey of you know challenging yourself and self-discovery and and learning and evolving and um thankfully gdit has provided that venue for me to do that over the last six years well folks imposter syndrome even at the CISO level oh yes. every day not to ask that every day so you know, there's 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 pieces of time where you, I don't feel there's as much imposter syndrome. I have imposter syndrome right now, looking at this live thing and this you know this great setup you guys have. Like, why do they want to talk to me? Um, but I feel imposter syndrome is a healthy thing because that means you're challenging yourself a little bit. Um, I just think you need that you need to have really good emotional boundaries in terms of the confidence you have in yourself, but also the humble spirit to know that you're, you need to be a lifelong learner and you need to make sure you're evolving your skills and you need to make sure you're harnessing the passions that you have. And I think imposter syndrome is, is, is an output of that. And I don't think it's always a bad thing. It's just a bad thing. If you, if you let it be a bad thing, but always there. Awesome. So Mike, when you were consulting, because, what people tend to have is, you know, this, so we have, I guess, different le different levels of our audience, people who are literally brand spanking new trying to break in. Yeah. And then some folks that are in that are moving around and moving up. When you were in consulting and going all around the world and doing all that, did you and did some auditing and did some cyber, which is really cool to have both of those skill sets? Were you, is it something that you requested or did they throw you in and say, hey, I know how a lot of a lot of times, how it goes in consulting, where they're like, "Go do this, go learn that." Oh, how I, did it work? I will never forget my first consulting gig. Now, I I've always said this. I think the big four for anyone who's on this trying to break into cyber or even break into senior leadership, I think the big four, you know, the EYs, the Deloitte's, the KPMG's, the PWC's, Grant Thornton's. I think it's an amazing place to start a career. It's certainly not the only place, but in my world and in my path, and I just passed 20 years, you know, kind of in industry, um, it's the best place because you are thrown into situations that you have to figure it out. You have to, you have to find a way. And, and I think, you know, at least in my experience, you're in the big four, if you're just starting out, maybe you're coming out of college, they provide those opportunities maybe earlier than some other companies would to sit with CIOs or sit with other executives that you may not have access to. So one of my best memories was the first gig I got. It was right after the downturn of 2001. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. I, I just said 20 years. So there you go. And they said, go out to California and go, you know, help out this company. At that time I was doing ethical hacking, but I had just learned it. I had just come out of a class and they said, go out and do this thing. And I found myself in California, um, you know, interfacing with a global internal audit director. I was 22 years old. I, it, it, was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, but it was one I always remember because I remember I would execute the, the gig. And on my lunch breaks, I would go to Borders or like Barnes & Noble or one of those and read books about cyber to try to get better literally the day I was executing it. And I, I'll, I'll never forget that because it was like, yeah, I look back and now I'm like, man, how did I do that? Uh, how could I do that? Uh, but at the time you just found a way, right. And being, there's something to be said about being thrown in the, you know, thrown in the fire a bit 
and gaining that resilience and that confidence and coming out the other end unscathed. So uh, that's, that's how I started. And then, you know, normally at, at least the way it worked for me was, you know, you know, you, you develop different skill sets. I started in ethical hacking. I did that for two years. I got tired of travel. So I was able to do a little bit more on the audit side locally here. I'm in Northern Virginia and then, you know, find your way around. Um, internal mobility is a big thing. So both at GDIT and at EY, at my, my previous uh, gig, you have to take advantage of internal mobility opportunities based on where you are in life and, and what you want to do. And never be afraid to say, I want to do this, or I want to experience that, right? Because the worst someone can say is no, and that's a great data point to see if you're supported at the company. So luckily, I've been a beneficiary in both companies of amazing internal mobility opportunities, either in my discipline or in like the actual positions I've held. So I think, I think that, um, I, I, I mean, I love the idea of internal mobility and I think that so many people who are trying to break in tend to look outside if they're, if they're in a, in a company currently doing something else, like if you're an accountant or whatever, and you're in a company, it's so easy for folks to look externally versus being looking internally um, at opportunities and trying to get in internally. So I just think, I just want to reiterate that point because I talk about it all the time because that's how I got in. That's how so many people I know that have gone through, have gotten into security, did so from an internal perspective. Just ask, um, just speak up. Ask. We need people, right? Like everybody <laughs> needs, we need people and we need passionate people and we need people who are self-motivated. Right. One of my favorite stories is there was an intern. Uh, he, he unfortunately doesn't work for GDIT anymore. He actually went out to a big four. Um, and he walked, he'll, if he's listening to this, he knows who he is. Right. But he was walking down the hallway and we had at the time, you know, before COVID, we had more of an open workplace. And he just walked right up to me and said, hey, man, I'm interested in security. I'm working the applications team. But I'm really interested in security. I said, awesome. Let's go around the corner. And I'll introduce you to our SOC manager and um, just sit with him. Sit with him for a day, sit with him for two days. We'll work it out with your management team and go from there. And um, yeah, I love that, right? Because again, the worst thing someone can say is not yet, but we'll let's figure out a way to do that, right? Um, if someone says no, then, then that's again, a data point that your valuable skill set may be better used elsewhere where management's more invested in your personal development and meeting you where you want to be and where you want to go in your career. So um, I, I love internal mobility. It's something that we're deeply committed to here at GDIT, something I'm deeply committed to personally, because uh, especially in these larger companies, you can, you can do a lot and you can gain a lot of skills. Uh, just, you know, staying with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, I, I, go ahead. I, Sorry. Chris. I was going to say, I love your story about going to Barnes and Nobles and <laughs> reading up on on the topics because it, it, it both, just, I think at the time, yeah, it was well, that's I mean, it, it just points to how broad this industry is and how ever evolving it is that you'll never know everything. And I think if you have the onus on yourself to acknowledge where your strengths and your weaknesses are but then also have the curiosity to go figure it out that you could go really far. Like you can't know everything, but you, you got to know where to find the resources. And these days Google's easier than Barnes and Nobles, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've evolved. I think they Google then at the time. I don't know, but 
I know there's something said about eating a sandwich and looking at like the, the hacking exposed book on, you know, getting into Linux or something, but you know, I think the humble spirit is the way to go, Chris, right? Like I'm, I don't know, like I'm the first one to tell you, I'm not the most technical CISO. I don't want to be the most technical CISO to be completely honest. Right. Um, that's not what really motivates me. What motivates me is building a high performing team, right. Investing in people's careers, like talking to, and mentoring younger cyber talent, right? So the, the time for me to be uber technical is a little bit past, but you know, when you think about the power in someone saying, I don't know, I'll find out for you, right? Or I know people who know, or man, I'm really interested in that. So I'm gonna research that and come back to you. There's so much power in that as opposed to someone, you know, trying to string some words together that they think they know what they're talking about, right? And that to me as like someone that's breaking in, never be afraid of saying, you don't know, right? Maybe it's just something you haven't dealt with. This is such a broad field, right? There are so many facets of what we're doing. I was just having a conversation before this. And I was like, you know, part of me wishes that I had more time outside of like my normal operations and what I, what I do day to day to like explore new things, right? Because there's so much happening, particularly in the world of government cyber, right? Um, there's so much happening in terms of secure software, supply chain, supply chain risk management, stuff like that. That's really like interesting me. So, um, you know, you just have to know that you don't know everything, right? But you have to form the relationships where um, hopefully you can get the help when you need it. Nice. Okay, I want to put some comments up before we move on. Uh, Steven Upshaw said he just interviewed with Deloitte last week for a cybersecurity engineer position. So fingers crossed for you, sir. <laughs> Multiple yeah, fingers. For you. I'm crossing them. <laughs> um, Sterling says, this is always epic. Thank you so much, Sterling. So cool. Um, I think this is Tyrone. He says, great afternoon, Renee, Chris, and Michael. He's in Woodbridge. Woodbridge. There you go, Northern Virginia. That's right. That's where we all are. Tyrone today says, also, internal mobility, not always considered as, a viable, as, as viable as external mobility. Thanks for making that point. It, it, um, that, there's a good point there. Right. It depends on what your motivation is at the time and your value proposition as it relates to your personal time and energy. Right. And I think, that, you know, for me, I like just what works for me is I evaluate where I'm at, where I'm going at a minimum every two years. You know, I think annually is a little bit too quick. Right. I think after two years, it could be a little bit too stale. Everyone that's listening right now, either you're new or you're emerging or you're a thing. In the cyber world today, your time is so valuable, right? And every day you should be making sure you're getting out of it what you want to get out of it. And that could be, I'm not ashamed, it could be monetary at one point in your life and where you are, right? Or it could be knowledge, right? It could be something you're working on, something you're super curious about that ultimately will build equity if your value system changed to more of a monetary system. So you know, externally, a lot of times external mobility is better for, you know, jumping up levels more quickly and maybe pursuing, you know, additional monetary goals. It could be depending on the company, right? On the internal side, though, it could be better in terms of for gaining a wide, diverse experience and how a business works, with, which will then lead to a different outcome. So there's there are two levers that I think people need to pull, right? And don't be shy about where you are and what you want to do at that particular time, right? Because now is the time you know, if you're invested in cyber to make sure that you are, you're spending your time where you want to spend it. And, and you're not just um, sitting back on your laurels and um, just 
you know, taking the job as it comes to you if it's not satisfying you in the ways you want to be satisfied at that time. Have you considered um, mo motivational speaking? Because you're amazing. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Well, appreciate it. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I'm, I just, you know, I'm passionate about, about this topic, right? And I think, you know, the interesting thing that one of like the cool outputs of COVID, Chris, and, and Renee, as I'm sure you know, is you get plenty of time in front of this little camera thing, <laughs> right? So like the, the reps that we have, I'm not looking at now, I'm looking at the camera, but the reps that you get in terms of, you know, discussing these topics without the worry of having to go to a large auditorium and like sitting there. I mean, how cool is this? Because mostly as cyber practitioners, I don't want to be judgmental, but generally I would say our industry is slightly more introverted than extroverted, right? Uh, it's probably a fair statement. And we have a unique opportunity now to work anywhere, any place, you know, generally from the comfort of our own homes, depending on what industry you're in, and talking to one of these little cameras and gain so many reps on things like this using technology. Um, it's just such a cool thing. It's a cool advantage that we've had, you know, in this, you know, otherwise terrible couple of years that we've been going through. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Brian says, emotional quote, emotional boundaries, humbling spirit and harnessing your passion. Mike, you hit it right on the nail. Hit yep. the nail on the head. Let's talk about emotional boundaries. That's a big one, right? Um, this is, you know, the CISO job, people, be it's a hard job, right? Renee, I think your job is hard. I think recruiting is probably the hardest <laughs> job out there, right? Like, particularly in this market, you know, you're dealing with people and all this stuff and trying to place roles and it's very stressful. Chris, I know you have a hard gig, but a lot of people like to say it's the hardest job, right? Again, I think that if my goal, you know, I when I look at, well, did I do a good job today? I don't measure that based on the number of cyber events, right, that we had or didn't have. And I don't measure that on, you know, whether I got a budget allocation or not. I measure that on, did I do the best I could do this day at this time, you know, to protect my company, given the resources that I have at my disposal, right? Did I, do I feel I made the most informed decisions at this point in time? Um, and if I can say that, you know, particularly in the industry I'm in, which is government contracting and, you know, a defense contractor, if I can say that, then, you know, I know I've done a good job on what I can do. And I can draw that emotional, that emotional boundary there and go for a walk and do something else that, that I'm passionate about and, and not take the job with me 24 hours a day, which is what a lot of people do um, in this role in the cyber field and a lot of other roles is it's hard to turn it off. You take it with you, keeps you up at night. You know, maybe you wake up at night and you think about stuff all the time. You got to really spend a lot of energy making sure that, you can segment it because, you know, cyber is fun. I'm passionate about it, but I'm passionate about a whole lot of other things. Right. Um, Lewis says here, I heard in a pod, I heard in a podcast this week, it is okay to move on. Life has too much to offer to stay in a position you don't like or are not contributing to. Bingo, bingo. Mm -hmm. It's all an equity transfer, right? You know, for me, you know, you're, you're each hour needs to result in something that's valuable to you and you personally. And if me as a leader, my job is to make sure that I'm having open, transparent conversations with you. If you like, if you were on my team, Lewis, you know, make sure I'm having those conversations at a frequency that is, that is appropriate for you to make sure that we're meeting you where you need to be met, right? That you can bring your whole self to work, 
that you can be your authentic self and that you're advancing the career in the way that, that you want to. And if either we're not having those conversations, that's a failure of leadership. But Lewis, you would also have to come to me and say, hey, I don't, I'm not going to be shy about it. If I come to you, you have to be open and honest about where you want to go and, and whether the company can do that for you internally or the team can do it for you internally. So always have to keep that in mind. It's a, it's a two-way street. You have to expect your leaders to meet you halfway, but you also have to meet them there too and be very honest about where you want to go. Open communication. I, I think that's very critical that you both set the expectations with your leader, what you expect from them, and they set their expectations for what they expect of you. That way you, you can meet each other's expectations. And you measure it. Right? Mike, I think because you were, I mean, you were so refreshing coming on here. <laughs> I mean, we, we have awesome people come on, but I was like, this guy's amazing. Thank um, you. And you know, if Naomi was here or if James was here, you know, I think he would, we would say the same thing. And I wanted to ask, do you think that your leadership style comes from coming up in that consulting, um, you know, mindset arena where you're constantly bringing people in, training people, j just like your, you know, your comment, your, what you, what you described earlier on, like you're learning something on the fly, like it's continuous learning for real because you have to deliver for your client and having those conversations and being able to bring in people kind of like with fresh perspectives and with no experience and things like that. Do you think that training ground is what makes you, Yes, I think a standout leader? Without a doubt. Um, but also the fact that I work for a company now that also has the same spirit. Right. So I, you know, I, I don't want to like oversell myself here, Renee. Like I've had two jobs in my life. It's not like I've, I haven't been running around everywhere. Right. I've had two jobs now the consulting gig. You get to do a bunch of different things. Yeah. But right? that's what I was going to say. Like as a consultant, you're in a new job all the time though. Kind of. To that point, right. To that point, when you are switching jobs all the time in the consulting thing, you learn very quickly how to, for lack of a better word, credentialize yourself very quickly, right? So for instance, if if you're in a job and you get really used to the leader you have, right? The only thing constant is change, right? That's the old saying, right? The leaders are gonna shift and move. And that's usually something for people who've been in a job a long time cause a great deal of anxiety, right? Well, my, bo my boss that I've worked with for three or four years is leaving, right? I love my boss right now. Me, me and my boss, like I have the best boss in the world. Uh, but I know that that's not going to last for 30 years, right? Um, and I think the ability to quickly demonstrate your personal value and credentialize yourself over and over and over and over and over again teaches the ability to manage change, which reduces anxiety, which allows you to bring your full self to work, which allows you to, to demonstrate and talk about your value and not be shy about it. It all kind of comes together. And in the consulting world, it was like I was doing a new job every two weeks, two or three weeks new people, right? Talking and doing that stuff. So I do think that that helps, but I also can't discount the fact that GDIT where I work now also has the exact same values, which have allowed it not to get stale because you can easily go into a culture that doesn't align with that and you get stale quickly, right? And, and you kind of lose sight of what those core values are. Um, so I've just been extremely fortunate. There's really no explanation for it. There's, there's been no grand design. 
it's just been something that's occurred. Awesome. So Zoe, one of our regular people says, ah, I'm late to the party. Zoe, you got to tell us about that new tech job that you got a couple weeks ago. Let us know how that is going. I don't know, Chris, were you on when Zoe shared that she had, she got her first job? Yeah. Yep. So. She was in the office when she was commenting. <laughs> Congrats, Zoe. That's awesome. Yeah, she got her first job after listening to us forever. So Scott says, as a brand newbie, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on which area seeing the future in your crystal ball will likely to grow faster. Example, focus more on cloud versus scripting versus networking. Well, of those three. So I'm in government contracting, so that's a whole kind of different deal. I think of those three choices, a focus on cloud would be the best, right? Um, it's not going anywhere. If you look at where our federal government is, they have indicated that that is, that is their path, right? So cloud, AI, autom scripting as it relates to cyber automation is big. I think cross-disciplinary things like supply chain risk management is going to be bigger and bigger, particularly in my space. Um, AI sort of stuff, AI-informed defense, threat hunting, those sort of skills, I think, are going to persist here in, in the next term. And then, you know, you always have this thing called zero trust that's sitting out there. What the heck does that mean? Well, it means different things to different people. Um, if, you have a good, if you have a good thought on that as it relates to your specific skill set and how it could play into a zero trust world, as we all evolve our programs towards zero trust, I think that that's also a place that, that would play well. Definitely second the, the cloud. And when it comes to the scripting, if you are managing the cloud infrastructure, you definitely have to have at least the ability to understand how it gets put together via scripts. So understand the JSON scripts that create it or the scripts used for the containers, um, so on and so forth. So definitely second that recommendation from Michael. So, so here's a cool story, Chris, which is pretty neat, is, you know, I, and I also think this is a really cool evolution, Renee, in terms of talent is... Mm -hmm. You know, we, we should no longer be stuck in this model of, well, you're going to graduate college in one year and you're going to come out and do an internship and maybe get hired, right? Like that sort of thing. We've tapped, you know, uh, seniors in high school, right? Freshmen in college. And most of the times as it relates to Chris, those skills are on automation and scripting. Man, they're the best coders, in the, you know, best coders around. Awesome. And um, so I think it's, it's an interesting, you know, development where, companies like ours and companies in the industry across is, is how are you leveraging that talent pipeline across a broader scope of not just universities, but other sort of academies and things like that, because the, the coding talent coming out of, you know, those schools today is, is top notch, absolutely top notch. So you, you, you mentioned that you're in government contracting a couple of times. Um, what about uh, utilizing the pipeline coming out of the armed services? I, I mean, that's something we're laser focused, committed on as well, right? And um, it's, that's something that also is not just a focus, but a passion, right? Like as it relates to, we do business for DOD, right? And I think it's incumbent upon us to, to create every opportunity we can for veterans and upskill them. And that really gets to a broader point too in our industry of the absolute need for an apprenticeship model. Right. So I don't know, you know, I don't see who's on or anything like that. But if you're breaking into this, right, that everyone that's hiring cyber talent needs to realize that everyone needs apprenticeship time. It's not too dissimilar than formal apprenticeship things, you know, if you want to do other sorts of, of, of gigs, because 
no one's going to come out with a CISSP or, or one of these credential security plus and know exactly how to fit into a sock room, right? Or how to fit into that team or understand the nuances of the process flows and how those things work, right? That's a year or two years. And that's something that I think as an industry, we need to get very focused on as it relates to hiring, not just veterans, but a lot of people, right? Coming in for me, it's a focus on veterans, but you know, are we giving them the adequate time to understand how this whole thing works, right? And that, and that's a measure of patience, right? And that's a measure of understanding that when you hire somebody, you're not going to get max value day one. It's just not reality in cyber, right? The reality in cyber is you're going to get max value a year or two down the road when somebody gets comfortable and they understand exactly what they're doing. They understand how the processes work. And that's, I think, the level of patience that we all need, particularly when hiring within our veteran communities and, and hiring elsewhere. Yeah, my, my uh, qu sorry, quick story before I go. Um, my brother is in the, the electrical field and he just finished up his apprenticeship, which was a four-year apprenticeship that he had to get X number of hours, X number of schooling, and was allowed to work up to a certain level until he got more hours of schooling, more hours of on-the-job training. So I definitely love that model because it allows someone to come in with zero and build them up to hero. We and we suffer from like unicorn syndrome, right? As a as like a thing, yeah, and everyone's seen it. It's like, well, we need someone with ten years of experience in cyber, or we need someone with two years of experience with an SSCISSP, even though you can't get that unless you have five. You know the whole thing. You know the fact of the matter remains is, yeah, all that stuff matters, and there's definitely certain roles that you have to hire specific technical niche skills, but there are more roles. Where me personally, if I have the opportunity, I hire for demonstrated passion and commitment, uh, positive mindset, right? The, the ability to be pleasant on a team, the lack of like our sometimes cyber contrarian views and attitude where it's really fun. Are you leaving, Chris? I do. I do. He's leaving. I miss you. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> well, it's good to have Without you. Without me. Thanks for joining Renee and I show. <laughs> right. <laughs> But no, I think that's the big thing, Renee, is you got to make sure that, you know, when you're hiring, that you're not, you know, sometimes good enough and growing into a role is the right move. Right. It just is. Right. And sometimes it's the only move based on our talent availability. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how 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 are you going to get the experience without getting the experience? <laughs> like the that's, chicken that's, and the egg. It's, it's the, the age old question, Right. right. It's because exactly. everyone's so desperate for talent at this point in time that they're, they, they, they almost can't get out of their own way yeah. because they want that immediate value, right? But everyone needs to demonstrate patience and a, and a commitment to mentorship and coaching to get there, at, like across the industry. Like, right. There's no other way to get there. What are your peer? I mean, again, we, we've seen the folks that come on here typically are very similar in terms of like, you know, knowing that growing talent takes time, et cetera, um, and that it just is what it is. And in, in the industries prior to recruiting in um, cyber for the past 10 years, I was doing it in all other different fields. So accounting and, you know, everything else. Right. And there is this understanding that you come in, you have a little bit of experience or none, you're trained up, you grow, like all of that. Yeah. 
So I don't know where it it always is mind boggling to me when someone is looking for you see these crazy job descriptions and they ask you for all this experience and it's like this is a zero to two year person. What do you? You just got coming yeah. from. It, it's again, I kind of touched on it, right? Because it's it's just we're at such a dearth of talent, right? That everyone's overworked and stuff like that, and we're all pursuing automation and all this stuff to reduce our reliance on human beings looking at screens and going through things right. fact of the matter remains is we always need it right and we're going to need it for years to come right so the commitment should be you know an identification and a practicality around the roles and the need right in terms of again maybe this is i'm just out of the air right 80 20 rule or 70 30 rule like 30 percent of those definitely okay i need specific engineering skills and splunk right because I need someone that can come in and make sure that these lights are staying on and I'm still coding and I'm still looking at stuff. But send the other percent of those, the other roles, like particularly stock analyst roles, like stuff like that, you can grow someone into that. The junior engineer role, right? Junior automation, that sort of thing. You can, there's an opportunity to grow people in there if there's demonstrated patience, right? It's, but it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard because you, you, you gotta, you gotta move away from now, 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 now to, Hey, I get the opportunity to be a mentor and a coach. Isn't that cool? Right. <laughs> I think we lack the latter and we all want immediate gratification with hiring. Right. Right. What do you think are, um, and someone here says hire humorous says humorous tumors <laughs> hire for potential. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yes. you would think. maybe. But right. how do you demonstrate potential in an interview? That's, That's the, key. the biggest question, right? That's, That's how do you demonstrate potential? Well, you come in with positivity. Um, you come in with passion. You come in with some sort of demonstration that there's going to be a commitment there, right? And that right there, and the that right there is the potential. That's the secret. I again, I do, I do a decent amount of hiring. The fact of the matter, you know, a lot of people do the technical vetting. I always tell them, Hey, you know, for this particular role, technical vetting is probably less. And they say, well, I want to hire this guy. So well, this guy or gal, right. Said, I go, well, are they pleasant? Right. Will they fit in the room? Will they come with positive energy, positive mindset, you know, ready to, to join the team and, and get after it. If it's yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Hire right? You hire for potential. Right. 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 Always. Absolutely. What would you say? So there are folks here that sometimes come on that are, when I say brand new, like they either are just kind of reading about cyber or learning a little bit. Um, from a path from like zero, meaning I don't know anything to watching something like this, like, oh, these people seem interesting. You know, I want to dig in and then deciding on what kind of like either educational path, well, educational path. So um, boot camps versus degrees versus, um, you know, just straight trying to get into like an apprenticeship type program. Yeah. What would, what, you know, what would you recommend for paths for people? It's such a broad question just because it just depends what role you want to do, right? If you want to go like the engineering tech route, I mean, you're going to have to go learn the operating systems. You're going to have to do that. I think 
at the end of the day, we can always look back and say, look, today, like as in October 21st of 2001, me, Michael Baker, I have access to the most amount of information, educational resources that a human being has ever had access to in the history of the planet, history of humankind. And I can do it with this stupid thing. <laughs> right. Right. So I, my, and, and through that self-learning, right. I think you can do it. Now I, I can't give a prescriptive answer. And if anyone's watching this, by all means, hit me up in LinkedIn on DMs and we, you know, we can talk about a specific job opening or role and what would work. Right. You know, CISSP is still the benchmark certification. There's no doubt about it, but that takes an experience thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, generally for entry level person, not zero, and they're going into something like a SOC analyst role, it's usually do you have experience with a team that's doing that in some way, shape or form. And that's, that's a hard thing to answer coming from zero, but you could always say, Hey, I've listened to these three or four podcasts, you know, and Renee's really great about talking about this and yada, yada, yada. And I went on YouTube and I'm watching these four or five different things. So while I haven't actually done it yet, I've studied it. And these are my conclusions. And like, if someone said that to me in an interview, like I would be like, whoa, okay, let's give this person a chance. No doubt about it. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, You're speechless, Renee. You, don't have I, uh, you know what? Because I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I usually have the, the questions are ready and then I listen to you and I'm like, that's uh, awesome. Um, there is, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, yeah. What would you say? Okay, so yeah, this is where I was. Okay. What would you say are, and I guess it it, it aligns a little bit to what the guy, the, the person who, um, who chimed in about skill sets. You talked a lot about like sock analysts and socks, and we know that, you know, I don't know if there are as many socks as there used to be. So there used to be um, sock analysts used to be like the quote entry level role as much as possible. What other roles do you see that either you think that are entry level and or could be kind of broken down to become entry level? Like, what do you see the future of entry level cyber? Well, there's still socks around. I mean, there are, but there's, yeah. I think there's a lot more people trying to get into socks than, than there are socks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, maybe too few, actually. You know, that's I, I would be interested in seeing the data on that. Mm -hmm. um, because typically that's a, a pretty good entry role, right? right? I think the other entry role is, I'd mentioned on the engineering side, right? It's a little bit more of a technical track. Um, the operations side, I think, is is has been traditionally a, a really good entry point, but I also wouldn't discount the non-technical cyber sort of governance risk and compliance roles. Well, I would not discount that because you learn a ton, right? And the fact of the matter is, is you can come in with some experience with that, some knowledge of frameworks. Like in my world, it's NIST 800-171 or 853 or things like that some base level understanding, you know, maybe you get a CISA certification or something like that um, on how to, how to assess that. But then what you do is you find yourself in a unique position as I did when I started my career of looking at a, a wide swath of what it means to do cyber, right? Across all the families of capabilities, right? Not just one niche focus. So I wouldn't discount that as a, as a good entry point as well, right? That, 
that one is also sorely needed. And I know for a fact, because I was trying to hire one that it's, there's definitely fewer people going after that role than there's roles out there. So Hmm. I would keep that one in mind. Okay. So there is, and Luis says that, well, Luis, GRC, GRC. Luis, that's it. That's, you know, I'm with you on that, right? I, I got a soft spot in my heart for it. I don't like compliance, right? Uh, I'm, and that's a, you know, government contractor saying that. I, I like cyber for the sake of doing the right thing and reducing risk to, to my business. But compliance also is a fact of life, particularly in highly regulated industries, um, financial services, retail, all that stuff, right? Government contracting, the same thing. So, Lewis, there you go. GRC, GRC. <laughs> he also says ops tends to be automated in parentheses tools and technology. GRC business tends to grow with each breach. More questionnaires, more control, more audit. Ops can be audit. Ops, I, I agree with you. Let's go back on that. Lewis, I agree with you on GRC, 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 right? But Ops is certainly the trend is to automate some of the functions uh, through SOAR and other technologies, right, on the ops side. But in my opinion, there is always the need for the valuable man hour, right? You know, when I look at that, I think of ops as upskilling to a threat hunter or a purple teamer or someone who's really now not going to be burdened down by looking at a thousand alerts across a day or 3000 alerts across a day, getting alert fatigue. I look at that as someone who can upskill and use that very valuable human man hour to do the things that matters on a network, you know, looking for the bad guys, free time to imagine, right. And, and try to understand and, and work within the network to, to root out bad stuff, to identify risks where they're, wherever they are, right. To play into a risk management uh, process. So, while automation is taking over, I do believe there's still a really good place for high level cyber operators, right? They serve a huge value in the business because now with automation, they can apply their time, I think, in a more effective fashion related to the intellect that they can just apply directly to the network, right? And your protections. So keep that in mind too. Cool. So Aaron says that was pretty good comment, Renee, on socks. <laughs> I'm not wearing socks. More, more so- less, more, more people trying to get into sock roles than socks. I think. I think from what from what we hear. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of managed service providers that are doing socks too, right? That yeah, that are hiring people, right? right. They, I think the the base result is if you are trying to get into cyber right now, you are doing the right thing, right? If it's yeah. something that you're passionate about. You couldn't have picked a better time, right? It's just so hard. Like people Cyber's are really, it's, hmm? it, it's, it is, it is hard, but there, keep in mind, I don't know what the status, I should have researched this before I came on with this handy tool that I have here, but there's still a massive, massive deficit of people versus roles, right? And then the best part about it is once you do get in, which you will, Right. You will eventually. Like I want to say that. Like we all need. I need people. We all need people. My company needs a ton of cyber people. GDIT.com careers. If anyone's out there, right? <laughs> uh, but once you do get in, you're going to be in an also an excellent position to distinguish yourself 
amongst your peers because this skill set is so rare. Not everyone's great at it. That's the fact of the matter, right? So again, if you carry yourself forward and you're passionate about it, everything will fall into place in a market that is competitive, yes, but a dearth of talent, yes, as well. Yeah. It was great. Lewis says, I agree. I just, oh, and this is for the, the prior comment that you were making. I agree. I just think people seeking entry level should consider and prepare for GRC as well. And then once inside the org, org it's easier to jump to ops. I couldn't agree more with Lewis. Yeah, I agree. Lewis, you're awesome. I'm, I'm into Lewis. Connect well. with me on LinkedIn, Lewis, if you aren't already. <laughs> you need GRC people. So, what are you seeing about um, how is the great resignation, as they keep calling it, impacting um, uh, security I mean, or the industry? You know, I don't have metrics on this, but mm -hmm. but Renee, I think you know me well enough that I have thoughts, but I don't have like real facts or metrics. <laughs> I think that it's going to affect people greatly where they aren't looking at the reality of the situation on the ground, right? The reality of the situation on the ground is, as we've talked about here on, the, on this podcast, YouTube show, we have a highly competitive labor market. You're in Northern Virginia, right? We got two big old technology companies here that love getting a lot of tech talent. I'm sure you probably work with them, <laughs> right? And then we have a, a whole lot. This is like a, this is a booming tech place. We have a, a, a dearth of cyber talent, particularly regionally and geographically. We have the genies out of the bottle in terms of our ability to work remotely. Mm -hmm. the, the era of, in my opinion, the big room with the, the things on the wall and people with six monitors, unless it's absolutely required by like the contract or some reason, right? That's over. Right. Companies should be hiring from ever, anywhere, right? They should be allowing employees to work from anywhere. Um, you know, there's, there's flexibility requirements here in this day and age, right? So it's like the great resignation is only the great resignation if you're leading without empathy, right? And leading with empathy in this era is all of these things, right? It's a focus on people bringing their whole self to work. It's a focus on diversity and inclusion. It's a focus on family life, right? And the, and the allowing people the ability to work to their schedule that works for them to work at their home if, if they can, right? And mm -hmm. it's the ability to hire from anywhere for the talent you need, right? And I think people who are not realistic about that now, I used to be an office person, Renee, believe it or not. I love going to the office. This is what I, I love going to the office and doing that stuff. But at this day and age, there is absolutely no evidence in my thing here that my team lost one step being remote. In fact, they're probably more productive. More productive, didn't, yeah. Didn't have to commute. They didn't have to be distracted. They can focus on the stuff they love and they can, they can love and do all that stuff that they do best. And right. so I think um, hopefully organizations that learn that over the last two years won't be faced with such a great resignation, so to, so to speak. Right. That said, don't understate your own value as it relates to your skill set. And don't understate or feel the need to stay at a company that's not supporting you personally, leading with empathy or prioritizing the right values that you hold dear. Right. You can vote with your feet in that case. And I would say, talk to Renee. She'll probably find you. <laughs> right. 
Vote with your feet, people. Vote with your feet. Humorous Tumor says, after I get back on LinkedIn, I would really like to connect to Mr. Baker. Me Send too. it on. Send it on. Uh, Tyrone says, any advice for the career changer slash veteran who's in the field but finding it hard to find a mentor because they're older uh, than even the potential mentors, older than the potential mentors? I feel for you. Was that, I, I forgot the name that you mentioned. Uh, it's Tyrone. I believe Tyrone, I think that's Tyrone. You know, I, I, I would say, Tyrone, um, I would weaponize LinkedIn to a certain degree. If you become active on LinkedIn and you demonstrate that you want to do this, right? Particularly giving a heritage, a heritage of service, right? To our country. I think, I think you'll find the right mentor. I think it would be um, disingenuous to say that ageism probably doesn't exist somewhere. Right. But I, that should not impede your passion or your ability to find it using the tools that are given to you, right? LinkedIn, YouTube, the stuff like that. Shoot a DM for me. I'll be happy to have a conversation with you. That's awesome. And Tyrone is a really, really amazing guy. Humorous I want to talk to Tyrone. I want to talk to Tyrone. <laughs> I really am an emerald, but don't know how to show it. <laughs> That's what he says. About I being like emeralds. Aaron says, on the job, daily creative thinking, daily innovation, passion, and attention to detail can never be replaced by automation. Here, here. I would... You know, snaps, snaps to you, Aaron. I completely <laughs> agree with that. Um, it may reduce the overall need. It does not reduce the overall value. It actually increases the value. Think of it that way. Yeah. Zoe so, says, this, this is true. Use LinkedIn to your benefit. And she has. So It's one of the greatest professional tools of the last couple of years, right? It's <laughs> great. Um, and, you, and you can weaponize it. Yeah. I, I will tell you that myself, my colleagues, we pay attention to people who say, I'm looking for work. I have this amount of experience. I've had service to my country. I've done all this. I DM people all the time and get resumes and send them out, yeah. right? Because we need people, right? So use the tools that are provided to you, right? We're, again, we're in an area that you take advantage. And I have to, you know, Renee, I have to, I have to run. I hate it. I, know. I have to run. But I, 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 I want to leave everyone with one thing, right? You know, I'm a big proponent of soft skills as it relates to the cyber field, right? And I talk about it a lot. Um, the ability to work seamlessly with other groups, particularly IT groups, work seamlessly with the business, understand the business, right? Be, be, be someone who's looked at as a team member. Um, I've, been, I've been fortunate, again, as I mentioned, to work in an organization and a company that really, you know, promotes those values and provides those learning opportunities. So one of the things that really impacted me, and you can Google it, is something called the accountability ladder. If anyone's seen that, and it's a ladder of behaviors as it relates to negative behaviors or positive behavior, right? And one of the things that I think I, if, if I leave people today, if you Google the accountability ladder and you look at it, right, look at the behaviors, right? The negative behaviors and look at the positive behaviors and do a transparent accounting of, you know, what you bring to the table, right? Are you the party of no? Are you the being the roadblock? Are you doing this? Or are you the one that's looking for a way to collaborate, right? And, and looking for a way to team and someone who's building trust, like actually building trust, not just you telling yourself you think you are, right? I would look at that and use that as a tool. I have it posted up on my wall here as a reminder every day of what it means to be a trusted business partner. 
So I would encourage everyone as they're coming in and they're analyzing their own soft skills along with their technical skills to use that as a tool and a reminder for um, what it means, you know, to work within organizations. So. And I think that is an awesome, awesome um, ending. I know you have to run. So thank you so, so much for being here. I really, really appreciate you. And I'll be connecting with you because I just love everything you said today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And and like I said, um, I'm pretty open as it relates, uh, you know, particularly to hiring and stuff like that. So if you're looking for a gig, if you're a veteran, um, if you're someone trying to break in, you know, shoot me a DM and uh, on LinkedIn and, and I'll be sure to respond. So, but I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Mike. You are amazing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So everyone, the accountability ladder, I am, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed having Mike on chatting about all of these different topics um, and how to break in. So thank you all. I know it is almost 2 p.m. I don't know if you have any other questions that maybe I might be able to answer for you uh, before I run in a couple of minutes. Um, but the accountability ladder is something I will definitely be taking a look at because I don't believe I've seen that in the past. Um, and, you know, I'm a continuous learner as well and love to hear about new things. So Saurabh says, great presentation. Thanks a lot. You are welcome. He was awesome. It's not often that, well, we get some phenomenal people on here, but hearing the consistent, um, hearing from leaders who understand, A, how difficult it is to break in, and B, you know, who are open um, to bringing in people who don't have a ton of experience and who are new to the industry and understand that, you know, there is a learning curve, there is a learning process. You're not going to have experience unless you get experience. All of those things are great. So... Scott says, thanks, really good interview and great contact. Thank you so much, Scott. So yeah, we will see everyone here back again next week, 1 p.m. Eastern, CISO Thursdays. I know we have a new CISO guest coming um, next week um, while we just bring in new interesting ideas and, and different talent to come in and talk about what's happening in the industry. Uh, humorous Tumorous says it's rare. It is rare. I think so. You know, you have so many folks that talk about just what they need, like what he just said, 70%. They have it flipped. The way he says 70%, 30% are, are the jobs that need all the experience and 70% are the jobs that, you know, you can train people on. I think a lot of the leaders have it flipped. Like they think 30%, um, I think he, they think 30% of the people need all the experience and like, um, I'm sorry, they think 70% need a ton of experience and 30% do not. And I agree with him that it should be flipped around the other way. So um, Mike was awesome. Hey, Richard Barilla, my buddy. I missed the live. Thank you. This is awesome. Tyrone says, thank you, Mike. Definitely connect with him, Tyrone. I think that it would be... Um, he might be a he see he seems like he'd be an awesome mentor for anybody. So all right, folks, we will see you again next week. Have a good one. Bye everybody.